Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. We're in a series called We're All Witnesses and we're talking about this mobilization or the priesthood of all believers. And one thing that we're going over in this series, we're going over these, what the Bible calls these elementary principles or these essentials that every single follower of Jesus, you know, needs to have a good grasp on so that they can progress. And um, as we've kind of been looking, it's amazing, even though the Bible says these are elementary, that we cannot progress, that, that we can't really understand family or covenant without these things. It's amazing um, how these things are either not taught very much or they're not taught in, in their fullness. And as I've said to you guys, this year of revival that you know and, and how the Lord appeared to me and I had the encounter with Jesus, you know, I've realized in so many ways how I haven't been a good steward of God's people and I haven't pastored you as I should. And as I'm looking at Hebrews 6, it's amazing how many of these, I've never done a full series on this. And um, so I apologize for that. And I'm doing one now. All right. So, <laughs> so, uh, cause we got to get these things so we can, we can progress. And so you can be mobilized. Okay. So I'm going to put it up there. Hebrews six, one through three. It says, uh, therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Come on, we talked about that last week. And faith towards God, we talked about that last week. How many of you, that illustration with the anchor and the rope really helped you kind of understand that faith is a substance. And so if you weren't here last week, please go online and listen uh, to that message because these build on one another. So last week we talked about repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Here's what we're talking about this week. The doctrine of baptisms. Everybody say baptisms. So plural, the doctrine of baptisms. Next week as we get into the priesthood of believer and the laying on of hands, it's the laying on of hands of the resurrection and of eternal judgment. Boy, you talked about what you talk about what you don't hear preached a lot is eternal judgment. It is very, very important. How many of you know it's it, it's it's very important to know not only what we're saved for, but what we're saved from. And that we will give an account. Okay, there's a believer's judgment, not for your sins, but there's a believer's judgment if you if you did what God called you to do. So you're saved, but did you know that there's rewards for how you progressed in the assignment that God had for you? You know, so Jesus, we get saved. We know where we're spending eternity, but did you know how you progress in your assignment, which is what we're gonna really help you do through mobilization? That's gonna determine a little bit how you spend eternity. How many of you want some heavenly rewards that you can lay lay at the feet of Jesus, okay? Um, and this we will do if God permits. So I wanna pray right now. We're gonna talk about baptisms. And I've entitled this message, Who's on the Lord's Side? Who's on the Lord's Side? Ooh, I felt a ooh. I got it. All right. Uh, let's pray. Father, we love you. God, I pray in these next moments as we unpack your word, baptisms are such a crucial component to our walk. It is so, so important that we understand uh, the whole picture of what baptism means. And God, I just thank you that you are gonna speak to us and reveal Jesus to us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. First of all, I want to say this as we, as we get into some of these passages on baptisms and then particularly water baptism. If you want to know 
where I get my research from and how I research scripture, almost all of my research is from Christian and Messianic Jewish scholars. That is who I listen to. That is who I read. Messianic and Christian Hebrew scholars that really focus on first and second century Christianity, uh, first uh, century, what was like in the temple and also in the early church and how that connects into the old covenant, okay? And just so you'll know, there's a lot of passages in the Bible that are uncomfortable and that are not convenient, but it's our responsibility as believers and as ministers of the gospel to not try to gloss over those passages or try to make them fit a narrative that would be more comfortable or convenient, but simply let the text be the text because we need to let God be God. Okay, God, no matter how, no matter how supernatural it might seem, and no matter uh, how uh, difficult or challenging it is to process because of what the world was like in the ancient Near East or even what the world was like before the flood and the firmament and, and, and antiquity and all of that, it's so, so important that we understand context, that we find out what the authors were thinking when they were writing these things. Context is not just where the scripture is, you know, like what's before, what's after it, but it's, it's the mind of the author. Okay, this is, this is what they were thinking and this is what they were reading and this is what the language was and the, you know, first century or second century and, and this is why they're saying those things. So think of it this way. So uh, think of, think of as someone was reading uh, um, an article that was written from today, but they were reading that thousands and thousands of years in the future. And let's just say there was a bunch of whatever cataclysmic events and lost history and all of that. And so they were, they're in a totally different culture and they're reading about today. And what they read is they read, in Jacksonville, Florida, there was a battle between the Jaguars and the Falcons. Thousands of people gathered at this arena and this battle took place between the Jags, these Jaguars and these Falcons, and the Jaguars won. Yes. Even though it was preseason. Well, if you had no context, you might think, wow, man, thousands of years ago, that's kind of cool. The humans back then, they, you know, some, some cities would round up animals like, like Jaguars, and I guess this other city had these, you know, like huge birds, like, you know, pterodactyl falcons or whatever, and they would go and they would battle it out and somehow score was kept. No, you know what you need? You would need someone that understood the context and the culture so they could say, no, here's what's going on. They had this thing called football. <laughs> these were human beings and they had mascots for their teams. Do you see what I'm saying? And a lot of times what we do is we, we come with our modern thinking and we try to make that fit into God's word or scheme of things. And what we need to do is we need to understand context, okay? And we need to honor the time in which God chose to begin this covenantal relationship with man, okay? So is everybody there? It's kind of a, just kind of setting you up. Okay, so let's talk about baptisms. Everybody say baptisms. That word baptismo, it means washings, immersion. It means dipping, okay? And I'm gonna get to this because it's, it's in the plural and I'm gonna come back to that in a second because there are baptisms. There's Holy Spirit baptism. There's water baptisms. In fact, there's other ceremonial washings. In the, in the early church, the, the baby dedications, many times they did that with water. It wasn't to save their soul, it was welcome because that needs to come from a declaration of faith in Jesus. But what it was, was it was, it was uh, in the context of covenant, like we do baby dedications, 
of bringing them into the family of God where they have access to the truth and protection and all of that thing. It, it was kind of the doctrine of laying on of hands, not adult baptism. That was a different practice of immersion that was dependent on an act of faith in Jesus, okay? But look at the scripture, Exodus 32, 25 through 26. So this is when Moses, this scripture is uh, in the passage where Moses has ascended, he's on the mountain of the Lord. And the children of Israel, you know, it was a long time coming down. So, man, they got a little nervous out in the wilderness. And so they decided to make this golden calf, okay? The golden calf was an offshoot of one of the gods of e Egypt, of Beelzebul, or what came to be known as Beelzebul, that calf figure right there where they would make an idol and then they would invoke the presence of that demon of that fallen angel. And so, so, you know, Moses is away from them for just a little bit. God's already delivered them out of Egypt. And now they make this golden calf. So Moses goes straight down. And it says, now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood at the entrance of the camp. Oh gosh, I could preach this. I can't. I've got so much Bible for y'all. In fact, here's what I need y'all to do. Just hang in there. This is going to be dry for a while, but then it's going to rain. Look at your neighbor and say, he's going somewhere. But I, I've got to, I've got to set you up. Okay. With some scripture, you know, if, if y'all, if you want a 30 minute me message on whatever, Tutti Fruity, uh, three tips to communicating for better relationships. You can go to another church. All right, so. If, 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 you're, if you're looking for Jesus to just be your cosmic life, life coach, you can go to another church. If you wanna know the truth and experience the power of God and the revelation of Jesus, then this is your church. Moses stood at the entrance of the camp and he said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. He drew a line in the sand. Whoever's on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi, priest, priesthood of every believer, gathered themselves together to him. Now let's look at these scriptures. I'm just gonna roll through them on baptism, okay? And then we're gonna come back. It says, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called in the hope of your calling. Look at this. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Well, Stovall, we just read in Hebrews 6 where it says baptisms, plural. But right here, it says there's one Lord, there's one faith, and there's one baptism. Okay, listen. There is one baptism that represents what you would call membership or covenant relationship into the body of Christ. That is water baptism. But let me explain this. There's one Lord, right? There's one God, but he's in three persons. Yes, so there's three aspects to our one Lord. Amen? So there's one faith, right? But there's faith in the person of Jesus. There's saving faith. There's faith for things. There's faith through things. There's the gift of faith. Are you following me? But there's one saving faith in Jesus. Yes? But there's different aspects. Same thing with baptisms. There's Holy Spirit baptism. Jesus said, I came to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, okay? We know that there's water baptism. You could also say that there, you know, there's, a, there, there's a, a spirit baptism as far as the infilling of salvation. You could also say that there's different ceremonial washings or dedications like we do with babies. It's not adult baptism. We don't use water, we use oil, we dedicate them, but the principle is, and I'll show you the scripture, the principle is we are consecrating them into the community of faith. Is everybody hearing me? Okay, and so it's important to know when, you, when you're developing consistent theology or doctrine, you never take one scripture and say, oh, here's one scripture, I'm making a theology around that. That is very irresponsible. It's very irresponsible. What does scripture define scripture? So we take all the scriptures, 
on baptisms, how they're connected into the old covenant, all those different types of, of, of types and shadows and all those things. And then you come up with a holistic theology or what you would call belief system on baptism, okay? And why that is so important is because your belief system, watch this, your belief system, the word of God, that is directly tied to how deep your roots can grow into God, into the love of God, how, your, how, how the kingdom of God can come upon you. Here's all I'm saying. Everything in the word of God matters and where you go to church matters. It matters. Okay, I'll just, I'll leave, I'll leave it at that. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. What's the first step? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, Jesus said that word first, not Jay-Z. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Mark 16, 16, Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. Okay, wait, Stovall. That's a really complicated, profound scripture. Could you elaborate on that and its contextual meaning? Oh, yes, I will. <laughs> he who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. That's just straight from the mouth of Jesus. Now, let me give you a few things here because I, I don't want you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tie in this component of believing and baptizing and salvation and all that. It is very important to know this. Salvation, I'm talking about saving faith, it is independent of water baptism. Water baptism does not produce salvation. You can be water baptized and still not be saved, <laughs> okay? It doesn't produce. Here's what produces salvation. Faith in Jesus. What does Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 say? We're saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. We talked about that last week. Through faith in Jesus. It's the gift of God no one can boast. Okay, so there is no act of obedience like water baptism that produces salvation. Salvation is independent of that. A scripture that everybody needs to know, Romans 10, 9. Everybody say Romans 10, 9. You need this scripture, especially if, if you're mobilized in your vocation and area of influence, okay? And that is this. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that, I want y'all to say it. Let's all say it together. <laughs> Romans 10, 9, repeat after me. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You've got a hand for that. That's... Some of you are gonna get saved today. You're gonna put that scripture into action today. That's what saves you. And then you're gonna be water baptized right after that. Yeah? So great, you know, a great picture of this in the New Testament is Acts 10, and that's when Peter's preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, and they receive Jesus, and they get filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're even praying in tongues before they ever get water baptized. And Peter's like, wow, these people are saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and even speaking in tongues and prophesying and glorifying God. But his next statement is, okay, so who can forbid them from being baptized? It's, it's obviously they're saved. Let's hurry up and get them baptized, okay? 
I'm going to show you why that's important in just a second. Romans 6, 1 through 4, this is the most common verse. I'm just going to reference it. It just talks about how we're united in Christ. And we're united, we unite with Christ in baptism in four ways. Death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. A lot of times people think it's just about the death, burial, and resurrection. It's also about the ascension. We're gonna get to that in just a few moments, okay? So a real easy way to think is, okay, Jesus, right? I'm coming into what? I'm in, I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. I have a covenant personal relationship with Jesus. It's a two-way thing. So what did Jesus do? He actually died on the cross, went under the earth, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven far above the principalities and powers with all those principalities and powers and angels subject to him, okay? So water baptism, it is a public declaration of faith. It's, Jesus was a spectacle on a cross. Guess what? I'm gonna be a spectacle in front of everybody. Some of you today in the rain, in the water, I told them to make sure that that water is either hot or cold. I don't want any comfortable water. I want, I, I'm tired of all this soft Christianity, man. Don't get me started. But what are we doing? So we're not, we, we, we say we're identified with Christ, but really it's, it's, it's a, a, a symbol of us being crucified with Christ. Yeah, so we go under the water, that's death to sin and our old self, and we come up out of the water in newness of life. And then I'm gonna show you the rest of what happens there that's a big part of baptism that we overlook. So water baptism is a public declaration of our faith, but much more. Let me show you one component here, and I'm gonna quickly go over it. Colossians 2, 11 and 12. In him you were circumcised, with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, okay? So once again, when we talk about context, anytime in the New Testament, you see one of the writers refer to a practice in the Old Testament, you can say, okay, there's a parallel here. So right here, Paul is paralleling water baptism with circumcision. So what do we know? What did circumcision do for the Israelite or the foreigner coming in to be an Israelite? Well, until you were circumcised, watch, you did not have access to the truth. Until you were circumcised, you were not identified with the family. Until you were circumcised, you couldn't be received. It was a sign. You couldn't be received as part of the, the covenant community with the blessings and the protections of the covenant. It did not ensure your salvation. There's a whole bunch of Israelites got circumcised and went apostate. You could also be circumcised. They said the male circumcised on the eighth day. Come on, ladies, aren't you glad God didn't put circumcision on y'all? No, just the male. Come on, man, we gotta step up. On the eighth day, so that's what, that, that's an infant, right? So we know an infant can't even declare faith in Jesus. This is how we do baby dedications. What is all this saying? What it's saying is that part of baptism, watch, if you wanna say what is church membership in God's eyes, it's water baptism. It's water baptism. Water baptism is when you say, I'm, I'm with God and I'm with these people. It's your initiation into the family of God. Do you see? And, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but that, see, all of these things that are going on in our world, so, so, so think of gangs, okay? We had, we had a terrible gang, gang shooting over the weekend, and we're gonna see revival in, in those areas in Jesus' name. You wait, you just wait, but watch. You know why gangs, the mob, whatever you want to call it, why, those, why the, those are a counterfeit, okay? What, what, if you're in a gang, or you know if you're in a, in a gang, what do you do when you're in a gang? Okay, you want to be in this gang 
So what you do is you get permission from one of the guys or the leader, and what you do is you get your tattoo. When you get that tattoo, and you guys that have been in gangs know what I'm talking about, when you get that tattoo, you know what you're asking for? Validation. You're asking for validation. You know that there is an initiation coming where they're gonna validate you into that gang family. So what happens? At some point, a bunch of guys jump on you, beat you up, rough you up, see what you're made of, but then they hug, and now we, we've initiated you, we have validated you, you were part of this gang. And in doing that, watch, you forsake all other allegiances and you are loyal to this gang to the death. This is your family. You wanna know why so many of those things are working so well, even though they're the counterfeit? Because the church has not shown what the real is. If we will show the real, a lot of those counterfeits will stop working. But we're so soft and we're so, so we, we think God is, let me tell you something. When we begin to understand that, that in baptism we're initiated in the, into this family, it don't matter what color you are, don't matter what you've done, don't matter where you're from. This is God's family. And he wants allegiance from you. He wants a loyalty oath from you. And he wants you to disavow loyalties to other gods and other things. Y'all want the word today or not? What y'all want? That's why things like this are important. They're important because you're part of the family and we don't want anybody left behind. Hmm. So now here's what we're gonna look at. We're gonna look at a difficult passage of scripture that has a very profound meaning. And what we're gonna look at, we're gonna look in 1 Peter, and we're gonna see how 1 Peter makes a theological analogy to water baptism and what happened in Genesis chapters five through eight when mankind got corrupted and when the flood of Noah, basically what? Baptized the earth. It washed the earth and Noah and his family, come on, the family of God were saved in the ark, okay? So I'm gonna read this passage of scripture to you. Don't worry, I'm going somewhere. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now look at this passage. In which he, Jesus, went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, do you see his Connection, his analogy here. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. That word there, appeal, basically means pledge. And that word conscience does not mean the inner voice of right and wrong as it does elsewhere, as it does in other, some other passages in the Bible. But what that word conscience means is it means like a, a, it's, a, it's a loyalty oath. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a reflection of, of loyalty through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now look at this. Here's the ascension. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Now, let me say this. You understand all through the New Testament, 
when Paul, when Peter, when these writers talk about principalities, powers, authorities, kings, lords, rulers, and all that being subject to Jesus, you do know he's not talking about our mayor. You do know the authorities here, he's not talking about the Jacksonville police. Y'all, do you see? He's talking about the cosmic forces of evil here that Jesus disarmed and are now subject to him. Yeah. So what Peter's doing here, watch this. Here's what Peter's doing. I'm gonna give you some scriptures here. What Peter's about to unpack here is he, he's about to unpack in the, Bible, in the Bible what we call a type. We call this a typology. Let me show you a, a, a type that most of us are familiar with, okay? This is in Romans 5.14, okay? So Paul writes, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, look at this, who is a type, everybody say type. That word in the Greek is tupos, which means type. Who is a type of him who was to come. Now this is very, very important. When we talk about types, so these are like written prophecies, these are foreshadowings, okay? There's all kind of people, there's all types of people and events in the Old Testament that foreshadow Jesus. So Jesus would be the anti-type or the fulfillment of that type. Think of two pieces of the puzzle that come together, okay? But it's very important to know that when it's talking about a type, it's not talking about every aspect of Adam, because we know what, Adam was a sinner, right? Jesus was sinless. Adam disobeyed. Jesus obeyed. Adam started this whole mess, in a sense. Do you see what I'm saying? Jesus fixed it. So Jesus is not a type of Adam like that. Here's how he's a type of Adam. Through one action, Adam affected all of mankind his sin. Through Adam's disobedience, all of us were affected through one man's disobedience. But in Jesus, the second Adam, through one act of his obedience, he affected all mankind. Come on, one in the negative, one in the positive. Can you thank God for the second Adam? So here's what we see, watch. For Paul, here's what you'll see in the New Testament. For Paul, Jesus was a second Adam. For other writers, there was another typology. So for the writer of Melchizedek, which some people, we, we really don't know, but for the writer of Melchizedek, Jesus was a second Melchizedek. I'm sorry, did I say that? The writer of Hebrews, the book of Melchizedek. For the writer of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, Jesus was a second Melchizedek. Now watch, I'm gonna show you these scriptures. But for writers like Peter and Jude, Jesus was a second Enoch. So Enoch in the Bible, that's talked about in Genesis 5 that God took him, that I'm gonna show you these scriptures right here. Just as for Paul, Jesus was a second Adam, for Peter and for Jude, Jesus was a second Enoch. So if you know the story of Enoch, he existed in that time before the flood, Genesis 5. He walked with God. He, God, God, he walked with God so closely, God took him. And if you read other, or what we would call extra biblical text, like the book of first Enoch, that was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, that was used by Paul and Peter and all of those first century Jews. That's where the term the son of man came from. That's where Daniel got a lot of his prophecies. The book of Enoch is quoted, it's referenced several times, but we don't, listen, it's still an extra biblical text. We don't renew our mind in the book of Enoch. Are you following me? But if you wanna understand these books, you know, Jubilees, Jasher, the book of Enoch, these books that are either quoted or referenced in the New Testament, okay? If you wanna understand what Peter is thinking and not be confused about this passage, 
then what we need to do is see what those writers were thinking and referencing to when they made these quotes. And we know that God would never allow a book like First Enoch to be directly quoted in the word of God if it was just out there and off. But it's still not the Bible, it's not the canon. We don't renew our minds. But if we're gonna get a little bit more details about this. See, here's what we think. We think that, you know, we look at the Bible and it's like, okay, God wrote this for me. Yes, he wrote it for you. He also wrote it for all humanity, thousands of years in the past, all cultures, all that. Are, are you following me? So, so this is what helps us. So look at what Hebrews says about Enoch, chapter 11, verse five. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and he was not found because God had taken him for before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Come on, how many of you know when God spoke over Jesus, he said, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. How many of you know Jesus didn't taste death just like Enoch didn't taste death? Here's what Jude quotes Enoch. This is right out of the book of Enoch. And now this is in our Bible. It says, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. Also saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his saints. This is the day of the Lord. To execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. I wonder how many times that scripture has been referenced on a Sunday morning. Does this scripture matter? Yes. Every scripture in the Bible matters. It matters. Do you understand if there is not judgment, there is no justice? Do you understand slavery will not end until completely until Jesus comes back and brings justice? Kids are gonna go hungry until... We'll do everything we can to stop all the oppression and feed as many as we can and help as many as we can. Are you following me? We will fight for justice, but you know what? Justice will not finally come until Jesus comes back. If there is no judgment, there is no justice. And if there's no justice, there's no alleviation of suffering. And if there's no alleviation of suffering, there's no alleviation of pain. And if there's no alleviation of pain, there's no alleviation of oppression. I'm telling you that Jesus is gonna come back here one day. Whose side are you? <clears throat> well, praise the Lord. <laughs> so for Peter and Jude, this theological analogy of the world flooding and the baptism and, and the wickedness that was going on, there's a direct correlation into what happens when we are baptized, okay? So follow me on this. Let me give you, are y'all ready? Can y'all handle this? I'm gonna go through these scriptures and I'm gonna give you some context. Okay, first of all, you don't have to just I'm not gonna read all of it, but Genesis 6, one through four, okay? I've talked about this before. We'll really get into this at the beginning of the year when we do a series called The Unseen Realm, okay? This was before the flood. Genesis six is the chapter that describes how man had gotten so corrupted and that his thoughts were evil all of the time and you put the scripture up there. So let me tell you, let me tell you what this says. Now it came to pass, the men began to multiply on the face of the earth. The daughters were born of them. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men, they were beautiful. They took wives for themselves for whom all they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever for indeed his flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants. Everybody say giants. That's not, that's not talking about like big guys. All right. Guess what it's talking about? Giants. 
There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men of old. If you look at that language, it's, it's the Titans. It's the Nephilim. These were, when I'm gonna show you the passage, these sons of God, watch this, very important. Several times in the Old Testament, anytime the sons of God are talked about in the Old Testament, it's God's divine beings. It is his angelic family. Now, let me encourage you with this. Whenever you see that term son of God, what that means is that means there was a direct creation, direct from God. So when you see the genealogies in the Old Testament from Jesus, it's son of son of son of son, goes to Adam and it says what? Son of God. That's why the children of Israel were not called the sons of God. They were called the sons of Abraham. Do you see? Satan was with the sons of God when he, it, it talks about when he appeared, but you can read about that in the book of Job. I don't wanna to get too much into that, but here's what I'm trying to say. That's why when Jesus came on the scene and he said, hey, you can call God Father. And he even got pushed back and the Jews would say, wait, 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 we're, we're the sons of Abraham. What are, you talk, what are you talking about this kind of stuff? Like, like when Jesus said, you can call God Father, you know what he was saying? He was saying that I'm about to do something, God is about to do something where there's gonna be a direct creation. In other words, you are gonna be a direct son or daughter of God. What happens through the blood of Jesus? Come on, you're born again. You're a new creature. You're a new creature in Christ. The Holy Spirit comes in on the inside of you. So you're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You following me? So anyway, let me show you where this is talked about in the Bible, okay? 2 Peter 2.4. It says, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, what angels? These fallen angels. If God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. It goes on. Look what Jude says. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but look at this, but left their own abode. When it says they did not keep their proper domain, left their own abode, the, the word there is, it's like they went after strange flesh. We know that angels can what? Take on human appearance. That's clear from Hebrews. These angels rebel, was one of the waves of rebellion against God. They came down, they, they just like Satan fell. That's why it's Jesus who is God. He's above the angels. See, everyone is immortal, angels and men, but there's only one eternal. There's only one God of gods. There's only one Lord of lords. There's only one creator. Follow me. You follow me here. There's only one creator. And what Peter and Jude are saying here, this term, these angels that we read about in Genesis 6, they were bound. They were chained in uh, Tartarus or hell, the realm of the dead. Satan is not there, okay? Satan still has free roam. So you might be asking, what is it, Satan and fallen angels and evil spirits and all this? I'm gonna get into this in January, <laughs> okay? Because it's a lot. But the best way for you to think about Satan, Satan is the leader. He's, the, he's in charge at the top. But the best way for you to think about the forces of darkness, it wasn't this thing like, you know, Satan didn't wanna serve Adam. He, Satan didn't wanna serve man. And so he rebelled and he seduced Adam and Adam sinned and then Satan was cast out. Satan didn't be like, hey, come on. Come on, all you other divine beings. Come on, all you other angels. Man, God's mean, follow me. It's not this clean little cartoon cosmic. Think of it like humans, okay? Think of it like the mob. Think of it like gangs. Okay, there were waves of rebellion, waves of rebellion. Finally, when Jesus came on the scene, there were fights amongst them. Finally, when Jesus came on the scene, what did Satan do? He coalitioned everyone and he had all the power because he is the most powerful fallen being. Just like 
if the US, we have enemies, countries we don't get along with, but if it ever came to a world war, everybody's choosing sides. Are you following me? Is this too heavy for y'all? I'm, I'm going somewhere. Just hang with me, I'm going somewhere. You're gonna see this, okay? Let me show you where Enoch talks about this real quick. Once again, the book of Enoch, do not renew your mind in it. It's an extra biblical text, but I'm showing you what Peter and Jude are talking about here. So what happened was when God bound these angels because of what they did, he bound them in chains and darkness. Enoch, who could now go between realms, he was taken from God. The angels petitioned Enoch in the realm of the dead, in hell. They, 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 they asked for Enoch. Enoch came there and they asked Enoch to go to the Lord of heaven and see if he would relent. See if he would change his mind. See if he would have mercy. So Enoch goes to God. He says, he presents their petition. He says, God, they, they, they're asking you for mercy. You know what God says? But can I sum it up? Are you kidding me? You mean they're, they're sending you to intercede for them? They should have been interceding for you. They were supposed to help man and they rebelled against me. You go back and you tell them there will be no mercy. There will be no relief. There will be no release. So watch, important. So Enoch descends. He descends to the dead and he pronounces their doom. There will be no mercy. You will stay chained and bound here until the end of days. Let me read it. Enoch 13 says, Then Enoch passing on said to Azazel, that was one of the leaders of the fallen angels, which is also the name of the scapegoat. Azazel means scapegoat. This has to do with the day of atonement. One goat was sacrificed, one goat that watch, one goat that sins. It's literally, scapegoat means Azazel. You read it in the Hebrew, it's Azazel, wandering goat. Place the sins of my people on this goat. Don't kill it. Send it out in the desert. Send it to the wilderness. Send it back to Azazel. Send, sin, send, sin back to where it came it's not gonna have any place among my people. Are you following me? Jesus was the lamb. He was also Passover. He was the lamb who forgives our sins. He was also the goat, two goats in the day of atonement. He was also the goat that was slain. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We're sacred space. And then watch this. He's also represents the scapegoat. What does he do? That's not a goat that sacrificed. It never died. He took our sins back to where they belong, to hell, to the realm of the dead. Watch, are you seeing where this is going? So look, here's what Enoch says. Or can y'all hang? 1249, I'm, I, you're out in 10 minutes, but you're going to get baptized. Enoch 13, it says, then Enoch passing on said to Azazel, you should not obtain peace. A great sentence has gone forth against you. He shall bind you. Neither shall relief, mercy, and supplication be yours on account of the oppression of which you have taught and account of every blasphemy, tyranny, and sin which you have, dis have discovered and shown to the children of men. Then departing from him, he spoke to them all together. They were terrified. That song we were singing, darkness was trembling. They were terrified. Okay, Enoch 14.4, from this time forward, never speaking to these fallen watchers, never show you ascend to heaven. He has said that on the earth, he will bind you as long as the world endures. And it goes on to say, until the end of times. Peter saw a theological analogy between the events of Genesis 6 and 8 and the fallout of that with the gospel and the resurrection of the New Testament. So watch, here's why. What do we know about Jesus. What, how are we united with Christ in baptism? His death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension, right? So Jesus, the lamb that was slain, the goat that was slain, he pours out his blood, he dies, but our sins were placed upon him, right? He took our sins where? Into hell. 
back to where they belong. That's why it says in 1 Peter, he descended into the prison where these disobedient spirits were with our sins. Just, it descended to them just like Enoch did. And you know what Jesus said? Hey, just in case y'all thought that my crucifixion was gonna let anybody out early or make it easier for any of y'all, let me be very, very clear. I am here to reiterate your doom. I have the victory over death and hell. You are defeated. And here's all the sins of my people. You keep them. I'm sending sin back to you in hell, back to where it belongs. That's why, what does verse 22 say? After he did that, what did he do? He went into heaven with all the angels, all the authorities, all the powers being subjected to him. He showed up down there just like Enoch did. And you know what he said? He said, it's done, it's finished, you're defeated. You know what he said to him? Y'all rebelled, but guess what? I got a replacement for you. It's called my church. It's called my people. I've got other sons of God. I've got daughters of God. And they're gonna rule and reign with me. You take this sin outside of my people. We're their replacements and we're gonna rule and reign over them just like Jesus. So my last scripture, you gotta say, you gotta watch this. In effect, Baptism in New Testament theology, it is a loyalty oath. It is a public affirmation and vow of who is on the Lord's side in the cosmic war of good and evil. It's a loyalty oath. It's a declaration of your loyalty. It is your initiation ceremony. Think about when you get married. What is that? You don't just come up and whoever says, I marry you. We look at these things like, preach the gospel. I don't say, I gospel preach you. Get baptized. We just shouldn't just say, I baptize. It's an initiation ceremony. Your sacred space. And because of the blood of Jesus, guess what? God's taken your sins back to where they belong. You're justified. You belong to him. And just like Jesus is kicking the devil's tail, so you're gonna kick the devil's tail. Think of your marriage, what do you do? When you say your vows, what do you do? I'm loyal to you, but you don't just say that. What else do you say? And forsaking all others. As long as we both shall live. Now look at this, it's my last scripture. This is Jesus' baptism. Watch, Jesus didn't need forgiveness of sin, but he did this to fulfill all righteousness. What does that mean? Look, Matthew 3, 13, 17, it says, Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you're coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it be so for now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill, for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him, now look what happens. This is what happens to you when you get water baptized. When he had been baptized, Jesus came immediately up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. 
And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven. Here's validation. This is what every son needs to hear from his father. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Watch. Do you realize, do you realize until this moment, Jesus, he couldn't be tempted. Watch. Let me say it this way. Once you get water baptized, things go legal. Do you realize Jesus didn't do a miracle until he was baptized? Do you realize he didn't cast out a devil until he was baptized? What happened? He was baptized. The heavens were open. Here comes the initiation. Here comes the ceremony. Here comes the validation. He's anointed for his assignment. You know what his father was saying? It's time, son. You've got what it takes. Let me tell you something, dads. You, there, you, there's times in your son's life where you need to say, you know what, son? It's time. You've got what it takes. Watch. Right after this, right after this, Jesus goes straightway into where? The wilderness. He goes straight in the wilderness. Guess who's there? Satan. This is it. Satan didn't tempt him before. When he got baptized, it got legal. It got real. That's why there's three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one. There's three that bear record, bear witness, make it legal on the earth the spirit, the blood, and the water. You're saved by the blood of Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes on the inside of you. When you go under that water and you come up, you're registered. God says it's legal now. Open that heaven. Send that anointing. Watch. Just give me five minutes. Jesus goes into the wilderness. He's tempted. Watch. He's tempted by Satan. This, this. Last temptation. Satan says, look, I know why you're here. I've, I've coalitioned everyone. I'm in charge. I have what? Authority over all the kingdoms of the world. You worship me. I'll give them to you. He wasn't telling Jesus. He wasn't saying, like, worship me like, Jesus, fall down and say, I adore you, Satan. He wasn't saying that. What he was telling Jesus was this. You know you need permission from me because I have these kingdoms. They are mine. And when Jesus said, I will worship the Lord and my loyalty is to him. You know what he was telling Satan? Not only do I not need your permission, I'm taking it back by force. Not only do I not need your permission, I'm here to take these kingdoms back by force. What, when you come up out of that water, God wants to show you off. He wants to show the cosmic forces of evil that you belong to him and everything the enemy has taken from you, you about to take it back by force. I'm telling you, water baptism is a declaration of war. And guess what he does right after that? This is what he does right after that. Then Jesus goes straight away and for the first time ever, ever we see in the Bible, the first time ever we see in recorded history, guess what he does? He cast out a demon. Never in the Old Testament, not in his ministry until then. Here's what he's not only do I not need your permission, I'm taking it back by force. And then guess what Jesus did? He went and picked a fight. And he cast out a demon. And you know what the people said? 
this can't be done. You must be like part of the forces of darkness. Y'all must be in one of those gang wars, those turf wars. Jesus said, hey, no, 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 no. They, kingdom divided against itself can't stand. He said, but if I cast out devils by the finger of God, you know that the kingdom of God has come upon you. I'm telling you, every devil in hell is terrified of you. When you come up out of that water, Jesus is on the inside of you. He wants to show you off. He wants to show the devil, look who's on my side now. Look who I got now. Look who I'm gonna use now. Look who I'm gonna use to put my finger on so that the kingdom of God will come. See, the children of Israel, God delivered them from Egypt. What did they do? They went through the Red Sea. Baptism. But watch, they came into the wilderness and when they were tempted, they failed. Where they failed, Jesus succeeded. Water baptism, it has always been an act of spiritual warfare. It is a declaration of war as you give your loyalty oath to God. Yeah. Whose side are you on? If you haven't been water baptized, there's no public record of whose side you're on. You're saved by faith. You get open heaven and anointing through that first act of obedience. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray right now. Every person under my voice, listen, it's not time to be playing games with God. I don't know where you are with God, but here's what I know. If you have not gone public, You haven't chosen sides. God's ready to open the heavens over your life and show you off. Bring his kingdom through you. So I don't know, listen, if you've gotten baptized and you, you, you meant it and it meant something to you, you're good. But I'm just saying if God's moving on your heart or you haven't been water baptized, there's no reason why you can't do it right now. There ain't nothing more important. There is nothing more important for you to do today then choose the Lord's side and declare that to the cosmic powers and the forces of darkness that Jesus has subjugated under his feet therefore they're under your feet if you just say right now so though I know I need to get water baptized I, I need to choose sides today raise your hand raise your hand wherever you are at all of our locations yes, 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 yes raise it high raise it high Raise it high. So watch this. Let me pray. Let me pray for you. Now some of you, if you, maybe you're not saved, maybe you haven't been born again, God is ready to make you a direct creation as a son or daughter of God. And that comes not from that water, but for putting your faith in Jesus. So I'm just gonna say, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. If you need to get saved, you repeat it and mean it. Church, I'm gonna ask all of us to repeat it and help along many people who might be praying this prayer with sincerity for the very first time, okay? Say this, say, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin and I surrender my life to you. Lord, I give my loyalty to you and you alone. And I disavow the forces of darkness, sin, 
and everything that would hinder my relationship with you. I put my faith in you. I trust you. I thank you for forgiveness and cleansing me from all unrighteousness. And thank you for taking my sins and putting them back where they belong in hell so that I can be in heaven with you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Come on, can you give God, can you give God, say this with me. Say, I declare war in Jesus' name. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.